Well, good morning, Edgewood Bible. Today, we'll be reading out of Psalm 23. Ever heard of it? And if you haven't, if we haven't met yet, if we haven't had the privilege, uh, if I haven't had the privilege of meeting you, my name is Trevor. Um, my family and I have been uh, members at Edgewood um, since, uh, since November. Um, so we're still rel- relatively new. Feel free to tell us, you know, the who's who and, and what we need to know here. Uh, we're still learning Uh, who to meet, maybe who to avoid. Um, Just kidding about that part. All right, Psalm 23. We'll go ahead and start here. This is a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father God, as we approach your word, uh, we're just reminded that this is not a trite, routine thing we're doing today. We are gathering together as spirit-indwelled believers, trust in you to help guide us, lead us, and show us just a little more of your glory this morning. I pray that we would have a appreciation for the ministry of your Holy Spirit, that he would be ministering to us, bringing affections to mind, and guiding us by the truth of your word. Help us have ears to hear this morning. I pray for distractions just to cease, and just, uh, Lord, would you lead us and guide us and direct us as our great shepherd. We love you and trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I hope you'll see today that this psalm very much is about trust, and that's hard. It's hard in 2024 to trust anything. How can we trust anything in 2024? Got this thing, I don't know if you heard of it yet, it's artificial intelligence, right? And the capability has been exponentially increasing in the last year. I keep telling Jeff it's only a matter of time until Skynet comes online. Uh, I shouldn't use that as a reference. I don't think I've ever said that to you, Jeff. Um, There are tons of applications, but really uh, AI has given this ability to mirror human interaction. Uh, Most of all the ordinary elements of human trust, the things that we look to in order to determine if we can trust someone or something, AI can produce for us. Videos and pictures on the internet can be manipulated and manufactured. Human body language can be simulated. And this ushers in a new world called deep fakes. This technology erodes foundational components of trust and can leave us wondering today, on what basis do we actually trust the people we have in our lives? How do we know, in other words, that people are who they say they are and that they're going to do what they say they're going to do? Pastors or elected leaders can be doctored to say anything online so we can no longer trust people from their track record from a distance. 
To really trust someone, we have to see that they are with us. Even families with just a soundbite, scammers can recreate your child or grandchild's voice instantly. Uh, Maybe you suddenly get a phone call and you hear the loved one that you know pleading for help in a dire situation. Mom, dad, just send a little bit of money and I'll be okay. But to really trust someone, we have to see that they are with us. Recently, a financial worker was on a conference call, amazingly, with different employees that he knew and trusted. And his most trusted employee, he's looking at a live video feed, and the employee says, we need to trust, or we need to transfer our funds quickly. And so we need to move $26 million into this account. And he looks at his employee, who he trusts, and he says, all right, let's do it. The banker suddenly realized that $25.6 million was gone to savvy scammers who had doctored these video appearances of the employees of this company and set up an artificial meeting. And we can look to the world of online dating, romance. Nearly a quarter of marriages come from online dating. But it's hard with video calls because they can be doctored, uh, pictures and live video feeds. Uh, One unfortunate man flew to Europe to meet a woman he had been online dating and even video chatting with for months. And when he realized she wasn't going to show, he looked at his bank accounts and they had all been drained. To really trust someone, we have to see that they're with us. As advanced as AI is, you just can't replace the reality of someone being there, the actual presence of someone. And as we look to the Psalms, we see a people who live in the reality that God is with them. The Psalms give us a window into the psalmists who commune with God that is with them. The Psalms bring us to worship our God for who he is, what he's done, and the fact that he is with us. If we're reading the Psalms without responding in praise and worship, then I'd argue today we're reading them wrong. And there's a real danger with this text before us today. Psalm 23 is not only probably the most well-known passage of Scripture in this room, it's probably the most well-known passage of Scripture to the entire watching world. There are different scenes in this psalm, and the way David moves through them helps us see a life lived not independent, but independence of God. David trusts because the Lord is with him. Today we look to our great shepherd in this psalm. And this is not a complicated psalm. I don't have a fresh take on Psalm 23 for you today. But what I can say is that the truth here is deeply profound. This psalm is a sleigh of comfort through the blizzard of life. It's a ballast for our ship that we're sailing on in the rough waters. It's a balm for those who are feeling consumed with fear today or just feeling confused at what in the world do I do next in this life. This psalm grounds us back to our good God who really is with us. And remember, to trust someone, we have to see that they are with us. So a quick background on this psalm. The book of Psalms as a whole are not fresh off the press. This is wisdom that is millennia in the making, thousands of years old. And they're nothing, like, nothing else in the ancient writings. This is a very clear highway to knowing God in a real Christian relationship on this side of Calvary. And so we see these psalmists sometimes wrestling with God, saying, God, where are you? Why are you asleep? There's you language in the psalms, not just he language. 
And we see the tones of the psalmist, like the tones of our walk, go from gritty to ecstatic, depressed to joyous, downcast to hopeful. And this author of Psalm 23 has had his ups and downs, hasn't he? This is David who wrote nearly half of the psalms. And David wasn't wrestling lions or fighting bears as a shepherd. He also was a poet and a musician. It does something to your enemies when right before they fight you, they're playing a harp. The youngest son of Jesse from the tribe of Judah and from Bethlehem, David was a young shepherd who had the courage to take on Goliath. But the courage did not come from his own gumption. It came from the God who was with him. David would go on to become the second king of Israel after King Saul. And though David is renowned in scripture for his faith, we know he had some deep flaws. Chiefly, this infamous affair and the subsequent murder of the husband of the woman that he had an affair with. David became a lying adulterer to become a scheming murderer. Everything came crashing down when the Lord in love pursued him and rebuked him through the prophet Nathan. And flawed as he was, David for us today was a type of redeemer for God's people. This is a shadow of the true king to come. In the New Testament, we see Jesus even described as the son of David. So in the Psalms of David, we see a man who trusted in the Lord, who knew he needed him, and who desperately craved his presence. The big idea for us today, right? This shouldn't hurt our brains this morning. Trust the good shepherd, for he is with us. That's it. Trust the good shepherd, for he is with us. And there's a real danger for us as we walk with the Lord and as we know him day in, day out, to think we've outgrown Psalms like Psalm 23. We need to be reminded today that we are sheep that dwell in the care of a good shepherd. This isn't a Sunday school nursery psalm for us today. God's presence is not something we need less as we get farther along in our walk. It's something that we realize we need more. Today, more than ever, we are sheep in need of our shepherd. And this is good news for us today. We do not make very good shepherds of our own life. We do not trust until we value God's presence, and we do not value God's presence until we realize our dependence. So my hope for us, church, today, as we look at the psalm, is that we would trust the good shepherd. We would truly trust him. And this trust isn't some blind trust. It's a trust of substance, trust based off of the fact that our God is truly with us. And from this, we can have courage in the face of a lot of fearful things in life, and we can also have a lasting hope. So as we look at this passage in Psalm 23, we're going to see three results of knowing that our good shepherd is with us. Point number one, the good shepherd is with you. Trust in his provisional leading. Or in one word, you could write dependence by the first three verses. Dependence. Read those first three verses again. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Stop there. First two words of this psalm, the Lord. This is a reference in the language to Jehovah, which is the existing one, the God who is with David. This psalm is all about the Lord, who is the shepherd. 
And it's not necessarily about the sheep. The Lord is real and present here. The Lord is active and working. The Lord is leading and directing David. The Lord is doing it all here. Look at those verbs. The Lord makes, he leads, he restores, all for his namesake. Central to David being led by the good shepherd here is David admitting that he is a dependent sheep. And the reality today, all of us are dependent sheep. I, I tried to check as best as I could, but from what I could tell, all the other psalms that reference sheep and shepherds are plural. This is the only personal singular sheep and shepherd in the psalms. In Psalm 100, the psalmist says, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. But in this psalm and this psalm alone, David is using personal, possessive grammar. He is a particular sheep with a particular shepherd. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Shepherd is not a trite analogy in scripture. Yes, simply put, we know that shepherd is a keeper of sheep. But biblical history, even at the time of David, was rich as to the context and the meaning and the purpose of this analogy. Going back to Adam's son, Abel, God had called many of his people to be shepherds. This was a common job for the Israelites. You have Abraham, you have Jacob, you have Moses, you even have Rachel as a shepherdess. Tending and keeping a group of people with much association to their tasks in that as leaders, this task of tending the flock. According to the Holman Bible, the Bible as a whole contains 200 references to shepherds and shepherding. It's an analogy our Lord liked to use. And despite what you may have heard, you can't really separate the verb to shepherd from the noun shepherd, right? The two go together. There's too much weight behind the word. So what does it look like to be a shepherd? Well, picture this, church. A shepherd would start in the morning early. He would lead his flock of sheep to their pasture for the day. He would watch his sheep all day long often without a fence or perimeter, guiding and directing the sheep, mending to their injuries, which were many, pursuing the wayward, breeding them again and again back to the fold. He would likely know each one, having marked all of his sheep, and they would know his voice. And yes, you may know sheep don't have the biggest brains in the animal kingdom. They aren't the most healthy and they aren't the most coordinated animal But I don't think it's a good meditation on Psalm 23 to just talk about how stupid we are as sheep, okay? The goal is to see our dependence and our need, not our failures and our weaknesses necessarily. So today, this morning, we reflect on how dependent we truly are on our great shepherd. Because sheep are needy. They often find themselves in very tough spots. They have this large, fluffy wool all over the place and little tiny peg legs and they're walking along cliffs and precipices. They're a great target for predators. Have you heard of a sheep getting downcast? Have you heard that? It's kind of ridiculous, okay? So sheep, they lay down, they get a little bit too comfortable, they'll get a little bit too far on their back and then their peg legs go up and they're just stuck, they're like a turtle. And as funny as that is, after just a few hours sometimes, the different gases in their body, it'll actually be lethal for them to be stuck on their backs. So the shepherd has to find those sheep who are downcast, who fall on their backs, and go and rescue them and turn them right over. The other thing is sheep are not resourceful. Goats can figure stuff out on their own. You know, if they don't have grass, they'll go eat a tin can and somehow just be fine, right? 
Um, sheep are not this way. Sheep wander. They get lost. They need to be given food. They need to be nourished in that way. Someone needs to make them shelter. They're not good survivalists. Sheep have to be supplied. There's logistics involved with the work of shepherd. There has to be water. And remember, at the time of David, water in the Middle East is not something that's super common. There's no faucet. There's no hose. Um, Probably in the heat of the summer, the shepherd is doing watering trips for the sheep with a bucket of water. Finding ground to water sometimes for the for the green pastures, and sometimes bringing water by bucket to the sheep. It's a lot of work. The shepherds often would have to dig out wells and build troughs for food. When night would come, the risk wouldn't stop there. It would actually be incredibly greater. Predators love to get the sheep at night. Today, we don't have to live somewhere with the threat of lions, tigers, and bears. But David and Shepherd and the shepherds at his time definitely did. Light was dim. The dark was dangerous. Wild beasts abounded. There were poisonous snakes, robbers, evil men, sheep thieves. There weren't necessarily police to be called. Things were very remote and isolated. It was up to the shepherds to protect the sheep. Shepherds had to be diligent in this task. They were charged to look after the whole fold, not just the strong, smart sheep, if there is such a thing, but the weak, the feeble, the the lame, and the lamb all had to be protected and cared for by the shepherd. They did not just take care of the good sheep. They pursued, they provided, they guided, they protected, they fed, they led, and the shepherds would be severely limited to to this task. They would be limited in their ability to actually keep the whole flock. Many sheep on their watch would die. And this is where the analogy might be limited because our shepherd is totally perfect and flawless in his care and his provision for his sheep. He is not limited. He can perfectly meet all of our needs, all of our desires, because he is our good shepherd. This means that we can trust him because we shall not want. This line, I shall not want, I think maybe a little bit better of a translation like the CSB says, I have what I need. This is not to say that we're going to be able to get that new deck that we're really wanting in our backyard or that new boat. This is not a psalm to stoke our greed. It's to fulfill our need. Knowing our needs are met actually keep us from that idol of want. We want because we feel like we don't have what we need, but reminding ourselves that with a holy good God who is leading us, who's guiding us, who's directing us, we truly lack nothing. That can be a hard pill to swallow sometimes in the tougher seasons of our life, but we lack nothing. Our shepherd is good. We have to remind ourselves that even the air in our lungs, the water we drink, the food we eat, the sleep we get, all of that is under constant care and guidance and direction from a sovereign Lord of the universe. If we were under the care of a bad shepherd, we would have cause to worry. A shepherd who didn't keep the sheep, a shepherd who didn't keep the grass green, who didn't protect against enemies. But we are not under a bad shepherd. Those sheep have to live with fear and insecurity, anxiety. Their fences have holes. The threats are imminent. There's no stability. The sheep live anxious and discontented lives. We don't have to live that way because our shepherd is totally perfect. What does this perfection bring then for the Christian? 
rest. It brings rest and security. The Lord gives rest. And we see the Lord here amazing in the psalm, even when we may be resistant or reluctant or rejecting the rest of the Lord, he will make us lie down. The Lord makes his sheep lie down. And this is hard because sheep get spooked easily. They're stubborn. Sometimes they don't want to lie down in the place that they need to lie down. But the Lord makes his sheep lie down in green pastures, even if we don't see the green of the pastures. This is written as a Middle Eastern shepherd. Do you know how hard it is to keep things green in the Middle East? Really, the most green, lush soil was used for farming. So the reality is, again, this is not huge, giant acres of three-foot-tall alfalfa for the sheep. But this is enough green pastures for the sheep to have and to not lack anything. This should give us rest. I'm worried we still live out this psalm in a different way. Uh, Marcia K. Hornock, she gives an antithesis to this psalm. And let me just ask, uh, before I read it, if this hits home for anyone. She says, the clock is my dictator. I shall not rest. It makes me lie down only when exhausted. It leads me to deep depression. It hounds my soul. It leads me in circles of frenzy for activity's sake. Even though I run frantically from task to task, I will never get it all done, for my ideal is with me. Deadlines and my need for approval, they drive me. They demand performance from me beyond the limits of my schedule. They anoint my head with migraines. My inbox overflows. Surely fatigue and time pressure shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the bonds of frustration forever. How many of you are living that way right now? Just on from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, feeling run down and still having to just go to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Our good shepherd did not call his sheep to live anxious, tormented lives. He's a good shepherd and he gives us rest. And sometimes rest can be elusive for us. Times of rest, maybe it's vacation, maybe it's just a regular Sabbath that we have scheduled. We find anxiety about everything getting done that's not getting done. This is true for me. But has the busyness of our lives suffocated our ability to actually appreciate the presence of the Lord? That we get to have time with our shepherd. We can rest because we trust and we can trust because of who we're following. And so here's another important point today is that the Lord leads. David says he leads me. And what does it mean that the Lord actually leads David? Simply put, the Lord is influencing him. He's affecting him. He's changing him. His spirit is the wind in David's sails. David, amazing life. He went from shepherd boy to anointed king of Israel. Who could have imagined? And for you today in this chair, how did you get to where you are today? It's amazing. All of the million little steps that brought you to right here in this chair. And on this side of profession of faith, the Lord was guiding and directing you by his spirit, every single step of the way. But even before we come to Christ, he is orchestrating, leading, guiding, and directing. Our God is the sovereign king of the universe. This should take the pressure off. We don't have to lead our own lives. We have a shepherd who leads us. He leads us on a blessed path, a full and complete path filled with meaning, joy, and purpose. It's not trial-free. That's a lie from the pit of hell. 
But it is to say that his path is best, and we can trust him in that. The same shepherd who leads his sheep into green pastures is the shepherd who's leading them through the valley of darkness. Our God's way is the best way, and we don't need to lead ourselves in paths of righteousness. Often we face frustration when our priorities aren't aligned with God. But our God's path is a path of righteousness. And it's important too, it's a path. It's not necessarily just a destination. Our God takes on a journey toward an ideal. We cannot get there completely in this life, but we can strive towards it. What do the paths of righteousness look like for us? Unfortunately, they're not usually everything going our way. How do we grow in impatience? Sorry, how do we grow in patience? How do we grow in self-control? We have those things pressed against in a loving way by our good shepherd. The Lord leads us, and this means he's leading us with his total sovereignty in the way that he led David perfectly. Our God is weaning us off of this world. And the only reason today we're truly free to follow these paths of righteousness is because the sealing of the Holy Spirit through our faith in Christ. Our souls have been restored. And this is just not once in our lives. Our souls need daily restoration. And our God continues to restore our souls. We'll get to it in a little bit, but the huge ministry of the Spirit is just to bring us to conviction, to help us see our sins so that we can turn and trust and believe. But the Spirit does this work. And we rest, remain, and stay in the care and protection of our good shepherd as the Spirit's doing this work. We remind ourselves that the Lord is a good shepherd. We can trust him. And his leading is all for the sake of his name. That's what we see here in this text. And this is the purpose of the whole Christian life. How many people today are just squirming with this nihilism and discontentedness of what in the world am I doing here? Why do I exist? What we see in this psalm is a clear declaration that we exist for the glory of our God. Everything we do is for his name's sake. It should be a powerful motivator for us today. We were created to glorify our good shepherd, to bring glory to our maker. And because of sin, we can't do this without the true image of the invisible Lord Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. He took the form of the bondservant and was led to the cross to suffer and die through our sins and through his life, death, and resurrection. We actually can have peace with him. He truly is our good shepherd. And so when we look at these first three verses, we remind ourselves that we are still very much needy. Still waters in the language are literally waters by resting places. The only source of rest we can hope for is found in the Lord. Our Lord leads us to those resting places. We don't lead ourselves there. Maturity for the Christian does not look like rugged self-reliance. It looks like dependence. Church, we have to renounce this lie of self-sufficiency in our Christian walk. That somehow we need God less and less as we mature. Our good shepherd is good. He's leading us. And everything that happens, even the most difficult conflict we have in our lives, the most painful suffering, is truly happening for a reason. We cannot let the worldview of the age, this pressing and creeping nihilism, come into our life. We shouldn't wake up wondering why we're here and what we're doing and why we exist. We have a good shepherd that we can follow. 
Everything is incredibly meaningful, or to borrow the language from the Apostle Paul, it's producing an eternal weight of glory. There's no wasted moments in your life, even if you're waiting in line for the DMV. So if we're dependent then, as sheep of the Good Shepherd, we're going to seek his presence. And remember, to trust someone, we have to know that they are with us. This is our second point today. The Good Shepherd is with you. Trust in his protective comfort. In one word, this is presence. You could write that by verse 4. Presence. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Though Psalm 23 is a popular psalm for funerals, this is not just a funeral psalm, okay? It's a psalm for living. If you want to know how to face death today, you have to know how to face life. Some of us are living as if that's not a reality for everyone. But we're not called to live lives stricken with fear. We don't have to suppress those uncomfortable realities of living. We have a good shepherd. The Christian should not live a life of fear because we have received the Holy Spirit. Like 1 Timothy 1.7 says, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. There's not a little lot of wiggle room here in the psalm from David. David's saying that you cannot trust the Lord and fear evil. In the language, fear is more generally just bad things happening to you. It's not necessarily the evil pursuers that David's had to deal with. In the language, it's a little bit more of a general sweeping term of just bad things happening to you. And Christians, how often do we fear that? Would you be afraid if you were going to die today? How ready are you to walk through that dark valley? Remember, God isn't any less good for leading us through the valley of the shadow of death than he is in leading us to the green pastures. He's a good shepherd. And sheep need to follow their shepherd regardless of where it takes us. If you feel fear in your life, it might be an indicator of a lack of trust. When we fear, it is a signal that we need to seek the Lord. And the Lord isn't hiding. He hasn't gone anywhere. But we need to remind ourselves that God is already with us. We need to move beyond wanting to be a good Christian to wanting to be with a good God. We have to consider his active presence for he is with us and our God is in total control. God is with David here in this psalm and this means he will not fear. And this is an incredible comfort. You know, I, uh, I'm glad I talked about the sermon with, um, with Pastor Jeff and Zach. Um, I wanted to just talk about courage. Um, I wanted to talk about um, how comforts the enemy of all progress. Um, you know, like pain is weakness leaving the body and all that. Um, but that's not what is in the psalm. Comfort is not a retreat. We're not compromising when we find comfort. We aren't running away from our problems with our tail between our legs, licking our wounds. Comfort for the Christian is our incredibly powerful defense. Seeking comfort is not a bad thing. But where we go when we seek comfort makes all the difference. 
Look at what David is comforted by here in the text. Look again. The rod and the staff. Many people in this room probably have had this explained, but the rod was used as a defense. It was a clubbing mechanism for wild beasts, and yeah, maybe the, uh, the wayward sheep that's in rebellion. Maybe the sheep uh, needed discipline, and so the rod's there for that as well. But it is a symbol and an image of authority and power and necessary good authority. We should appreciate the, the authority and the discipline of our God. He corrects us when we go the wrong way, and we need this a lot. It is for our good, and this is out of his love and mercy. Discipline is not in opposition to God's love. It's an extension of it. And the staff. This is leading and directing, but if you remember, the staff of the ancient world had that big curl on the top of it, right? Does anyone know what that curl was used for? There's a hook. You think about the guy who's going a little bit too long, maybe in 15 or 20 minutes I might need it, but the, the hook that grabs the sheep and pulls them out of the situations they're in. This is how the Lord's leadership looks like for David sometimes. You think about Nathan with that, with that uh, rebuke, that well-timed rebuke. God reaching out and grabbing the sheep and getting him back onto the path of righteousness. Sheep get themselves in tough spots, but the shepherd will dog them down, pursue them, and intervene for their good. And so we look at this psalm and we don't think about how fearless David is. We think about the comfort that comes from a good shepherd. I would say David isn't exactly fearless here. Um, He says, I will fear no evil. Um, This is more him resolving the truth that he has no reason to fear than him actually never having any fear. I mean, think about him describing death as the valley of the shadow of death, right? It's one word in the Hebrew language, but it's a very strong word. It's this darkness. Think about what happens in the dark is we get afraid. We can't see. And obviously the fear of the Lord is a good thing. It's the beginning of wisdom, right? This is reverential awe. As sheep, we need to realize our limitedness, that we don't necessarily understand the grand master plan of God's redemptive work as it's happening. Yes, maybe after the fact, we can look back and start to see some of it, but in the moment, we don't know what God is doing. We have to just walk in trust and dependence. You can think about this as the kid with the monster in the closet. God walking into the room, opening the door, and shining a light in the closet. That's how you diffuse the fear of a child. And this is what God does for us. He shines the light on our path, and we can trust him in the path of righteousness. And what I love about verse 4 here is it's not in the green pastures that the uh, grammar changes in this psalm. It's a lot of he in verses 1 through 3. But in verse 4, we see that shift. It goes from the third person to the second person, right? Far demonstrative to a near demonstrative. David's saying, the Lord is this, the Lord is this, the Lord is this. And then in the valley of the shadow of death, you. God already knows what's on our hearts and what's in our mind. But we see that realism in our relationship with the Lord come out in suffering. It's been said that when you face death, that you have a clarity and a focus, a realism. 
This is what we see here in verse 4. I wish we could shift from he to you in the good times. But often those are the times where we forget that we need our good shepherd. We feel like we can just do it on our own. And so the Lord in his sovereign goodness sometimes pulls those things we hold on to away from us so that we realize our need. This is a grace. And this was a testimony that I lived out last year. I think for me, if you were asked my greatest fear, I would have said uh, being able to provide for my family last year. Um, not being able to care for my family. Um, and in a matter of months, I had my house catch on fire, and then I had, I had to go through all of my savings account that I had kind of slowly built up. I lost my job, and then we suddenly had to leave our church. And by the way, uh, my wife was eight months pregnant with our fifth child, which already was um, exciting, but also terrifying. What I can say a little bit now in Rue Mirror, I, I, I couldn't have told you this then, was that my greatest fear should have been not depending on God. But instead, it was on supporting my family. Because the only reason at any day I can provide and care for my family is because of the good provision of our shepherd. Are you living your life in fear today? Does it keep you from doing the right thing? Does it keep you from looking at what needs to get done? Does your fear make you panic when things don't go as planned? Sometimes when our priorities don't line up with God's, we get really frustrated about it. But understanding that we're following step by step our good shepherd means that when things don't go our way, we realign our priorities to the Lord's instead of responding in frustrated turmoil and anxiety. For me, a lot of times it looks like trying to get order in the kids and maybe I start barking at them. That's not God's design for me as a father. So I need to realign my priorities to his. And fear should not affect our rest. I'm guilty at times of wanting to shut my brain off instead of confronting the thing that I need to deal with. It's a dead giveaway if conversations are coming up from the people that you love and you're wanting to push it away and not address it, that we're living our life in fear. We're not reminding ourselves of the good shepherd who is leading and guiding and directing us. Because our God is with us and his presence is real, we can look at the dark corners of our life and know that our sovereign, omniscient king already knows about it. This frees us to confess the sin that needs to get confessed it frees us to confront the things that are hard in our relationships, and it frees us to commit to truly trusting our good Savior. This means we can trust the shepherd that's on watch. And we don't trust him just because of his position as shepherd. We trust him because of his good motives. He is after our good. He cares for us and he ensures our well-being. And this is the third point today. The good shepherd is with you Trust in his eternal goodness. Our God is good. Read those last two verses again. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Stop there. 
Have you, heard, have you heard someone say, we found our forever home? Have you heard that? Maybe you've said that. I hate to, I hate to break it to a lot of people, but the Carrera marble is still going to end up in the landfill, okay? Even in your forever home. We have one forever home, and it's to dwell with our good shepherd forever. And we see David fixing his hopes with this eternal mindset that he's going to dwell with his creator forever. It's clear in verse 5 that the shepherd analogy and sheep analogy has kind of run its course. I'm not picturing a sheep with hooves trying to drink out of a cup here. Okay? I think it's now changed. Now it's back to human David, a child of God, looking up to the heavens and declaring a hope in dwelling with his God forever. And this table analogy, what does it mean that he's presenting a table preparing the table in the presence of his enemies. Um, it's less about this bountiful feast, which is how I read it, and it's more about fellowship. Dining with someone at this point in history at the time of David, it sealed a relationship. You could think of this as, as kind of an extension of a covenant here. Um, it's a lasting bond. It's a continued presence. Similar to the covenant God made with David, this is an agreement of lasting fellowship for David to have a seat at the table. And we see this perfect in the fulfillment of the new covenant in Revelation uh, 20, uh, where we get to have our, the marriage supper of the, with the lamb. This is dining with our king and our shepherd forever. And then we have the anointing of oil. This may have been a custom of acceptance and blessing at the time of David. Um, I don't think it's two step, uh, I don't think it's a step too far though to, to look at 1 Samuel 16 and see David anointed uh, symbolically as he receives the Holy Spirit. You can read in verse Samuel 16 about that account, but a quick snapshot in verse 13 says the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. This is the Spirit's dominating influence on David. This is ultimately why he was able to respond to Nathan's rebuke, not in rejection, but in contrite, humble repentance. This is what the Spirit enables us to do. Restoring our soul means causing us to repent and believe and to keep following our good shepherd. I think it's important to say that um, there are real dangers to the, maybe the charismatic movement, some of the um, extreme uh, teachings that I would say aren't aligned with the Bible as far as the Holy Spirit's influence. But there's also a real danger in diminishing the work of the Holy Spirit for us. Without the Holy Spirit, we're useless as Christians. And we can diminish him. We can say, you know, I can really tell the Holy Spirit's in this place. But the Holy Spirit is always with us if we've professed faith in Christ. I think what those people mean when they say that is that the Holy Spirit is being recognized and acknowledged that there's maybe contemplative and focused time in prayer and in other avenues to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that, those are good things. We should continue to teach on the Holy Spirit as a member of the Godhead. And to remind ourselves that he leads, guides, and directs us. So sometimes we get that Venn diagram out in our life with the big decisions, and we have the pros and the cons, but then the Holy Spirit might blow that up, and that's okay. 
We have to let the Spirit lead, guide, and direct us. And God's going to do that either way. But when I say let, I mean to permit, to allow the sails of our Christian walk to be propelled forward by the wind of the Spirit. The Spirit leads us. He guides us. He directs us. And he's not limited just to producing affections in us or emotions. The Spirit is the very author of Scripture. He's why we comprehend truth. We hold a high view of Scripture here at Edgewood Bible because we hold a high view of the Holy Spirit. The Bible is the primary means for the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin and to remind us about the gospel and to believe in Jesus. We grow more and more into the image of God through his revealed word. It's not the Bible versus the Spirit. The Spirit convicts us of sin. And our only chance of growing in Christ is the ministry of this great helper, as Christ calls him, the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has been given the full measure. We don't need a second anointing. We have the fullness of the Holy Spirit in us through faith in Jesus Christ. And this means we are sealed, protected, propelled forward to actually receive the blessings of the Lord, to follow the path of righteousness. It's not our white-knuckle efforts that get us there. And what do we see here then? Goodness and mercy follow. Follow is a pretty soft word. If you look at the language, this is uh, pursue, chase down, dog down. One, com- one commentator talks about this psalm, and you can think about the shepherd in the very front, leading, guiding, and directing the sheep. And you can think about two sheepdogs in the back, right? Goodness and mercy following them. This is the goodness of God. Despite our best efforts, God's still going to lead and guide us and show his goodness and mercy to us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's goodness and mercy are not dependent on how great we are doing, how faithful we've been, how obedient we are. It's not how faith works. Our fruit and our growth in holiness will follow our faith. That's a promise. And this is because the great shepherd has come and he opens the door for his sheep. If you have your Bible, I turn to John 10. We read verses 7 through 11. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door of the If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Our great shepherd came and lived a life we couldn't live. He came to a sheep that had completely gone astray, each to their own way. But the Lord laid on Christ the iniquity of us all. And by his wounds we've been healed. Because Christ lived the life we couldn't live. He was killed and died for the sin that you and I have committed and will still commit. But he was raised three days later and he ascended to glory. Where the lamb now reigns and rules at the right hand of God the Father. Church, have you believed in the lamb? Have you believed in Christ? His work, his person. Do you see him as your present shepherd? Do you listen for his voice? Have you turned from following anyone else, anything else? All that God asks from you is all that you have. See your need today and respond to his voice. And maybe you've done this in the rearview mirror, but maybe you're in a, a little bit of a dry spell. 
Maybe you've forgotten about the green pastures and the waters of resting places in your life. Hear his voice and follow him on the path of righteousness by his guiding and directing and leading. Because if you've heard his voice, then nothing can take you away from his love. Not tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, danger, sword, death, life, angels, rulers, things present, things to come, power, height, depth, anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God. We read on in John 10, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. So as sheep today, we have a shepherd who will never stop leading, guiding, and directing us. Because we've heard his voice, we just look to him and we follow. And we can trust him because he's good. And he is with us. This is ultimately what Emmanuel means, the promise of Jesus Christ, that our God is with us. He took on human form. And he was despised and rejected and humiliated as a lamb to slaughter because of our sin. But because he did this, we can now have fellowship with God forever. So this means we really can't trust him because we see that he is with us. Our God is not on a distant screen. He's not a deep fake somewhere out on the interwebs. Our God is truly with us, and he's good. So the three points today were trust in his provisional leading, trust in his protective comfort, and to trust in his eternal goodness. So we can think about this as dependence, presence, and trust today. Dependence, presence, and trust. Would you pray with me? Father God, I hope we're reminded today um, that we truly are needy and dependent. It could be uncomfortable to realize how weak and vulnerable we are without you. But the reality is, is because of what your son Jesus has done for us, the reality that we have been sealed by your spirit, we are never without you. You are a God who is always with us. You are present and you're leading us to still waters, to green pastures. And even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil for you are with us. Lord, help us take this truth out today. May we not live lives marked with anxiety or fear or distrust. May we trust you as our good shepherd and to take each step forward that you have for us, knowing that it is only you and you alone that establish our steps. We commit this time to you. We commit our lives to you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.